For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled, Pentecost, the First Fruit Festival. Mr. Andrews. When I was first in the church, when I sat down and I listened to the ministers, they said, prove all things, hold fast that which is true. That's biblical, by the way, that's in the Bible. And another thing he said was, don't believe me, believe the Bible. And so 50 years, I have done that. I have believed the Word of God. When God created the heavens and the earth, He put in the heavens some interesting things. Oh, we know the stars and all of the things that are out there, and it's so beautiful we see it at night, if we're in a place where we see it. We can also know that there is a moon and a sun. Well, God put those things in there for us to be able to do one thing is to calculate his days to understand his plan his true plan of salvation and how did he do that he laid it out in what people don't even understand called these holy days which are written in Leviticus the 23rd chapter I appreciate David's message as he laid the groundwork for this. And I'm hoping I'm going to go a little bit further in some of the things that he brought out and, and, and bring it a little bit more. But God called it the seasons the Moab. And the Moab means an appointed time. What God did was set in the heavens a clock that says, this is an appointed time for you to come before me. And this is one of them. Of course, every Sabbath, we understand from what he already read, what they were read in, uh, in Leviticus 23, the Lord's days. These are his times. This is what he has said. And so, we're going to learn some things today. I, I don't know. It kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And I don't know if you've seen it or not. And maybe some of you have. But these are our days. And especially Pentecost is our time. It has been almost 2,000 years since Jesus Christ was crucified. Somewhere around 2031. I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the time 2,000 years comes up. And I don't know whether he will wait beyond that time or not. We always look for the return of Jesus Christ. But realizing that it's almost 2,000 years, there have been calling and calling and calling down through the ages. And we have no idea. All we see is ourselves here today. I want to challenge our young people who are sitting here today who follow their parents into this way of life. I want to challenge you to search the scriptures to prove that these days are not just for your parents but are for you also. And you 
and me who have been around a while, and we know the scriptures, we always go back and we rehearse them year after year because that's what God wants us to do. Those that leave this way very quickly forget this way and go back into the world. It's very easy to slip back into the world because you haven't been keeping the holy days. They are laid out in Leviticus 23. And I'm not going to go over the ones that David went. I want to start in verse 10. And I want to read through this. And I want you to think about as I'm reading through this because really from verse 10 to almost verse 22, they really are tied together. We can't do anything without Christ, can we? He had to be the first one. So let's read. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, and shall reap the harvest thereof. These are harvest feasts. Remember that. These are harvest feasts. Gleaning, harvesting. And shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted for you. In the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, I'm not going to go in. David pretty much covered this part of it, so I'm just going to start. I'm going to read through these. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheath, a he lamb with, without blemish in the first year for a burnt offering to the Lord, and a meat offering, or a, really it means a grain offering thereof, shall be two-tenths deals, a fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet savor, and a drink offering thereof shall be of wine and the fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the same day that you have brought an offering to, to your God, and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So in the beginning, when, when they first did this wave sheath, all they had was green ears. Abib, the beginning of months, because all of the other grains were destroyed in Egypt, they were down to the barley, the green ears. And so, the green ears were what was offered as a wave sheath. That first fruit was offered as a wave sheath. He said, now, um, you shall count how am, and I, I feel bad because after I started reading this, I wish we'd have counted again. I wish we'd have done the, the count like we did the last couple of three years. We've, we've had a calendars and stuff, and I apologize. But I, as I was reading this, I was realizing how important the connection is, and you're going to see that, the connection is between this beginning of the wave sheath, the counting, and the day of Pentecost. And here we see. From the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought forth the sheath of the wave offering, even seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Seven is perfection. Seven Sabbaths, which is 49, is seven, seven perfections. 
shall you number 50 days um, uh, shall be complete. Even to the morrow of the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days and shall offer a new meat offering to the Lord or a new grain offering. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths deals and they shall be of fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven and they shall be the first fruits to the Lord. Now here is a difference. The wave sheaf and the offerings there were unleavened. This is a leavened offering. And I've heard a lot of different things about the two loaves, the two witnesses, the different things. I'm not sure. I'm going to let you all study and maybe come up with some thinking about it. What I want to really focus on is how important this particular holy day is and how it, it ties in to you and me and all of us who are being called at this end time. He says, You shall bring this fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven, and they are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams, and they shall be for burnt offerings to the Lord with your meat offering and the drink offerings, even offerings made by fire. Have a sweet savor to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for sin offering and two lambs of the first year for sacrifice to the peace offerings. And here is a key, an interesting thing that happens. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord. How many of you have noticed that? Another wave offering with this, this Pentecost offering. A wave sheath offering was waved, and a, um, these two wa uh, uh, bread offerings were waved by the priest before the Lord. With two lambs they shall be a holy to the Lord for the priest, and they shall proclaim on that selfsame day that it may be, holy, be a holy convocation, that's a holy assembly, which is what we're doing. God considers this holy time. Holy time. A holy assembly. And you shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in your dwellings throughout your generations. This is a very interesting scripture here. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of your field. And when you reap, neither shall you gather any gleaning of your harvest. You shall leave them to the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. If you want to see that, and how that works, read the book of Ruth. A powerfully wonderful book in the Bible. The, the book of Ruth is, is, is so wonderful. But that particular thing is very well laid out in there. So now we have the wave sheath being brought before. And we have the Pentecostal offering brought before the Lord. And waved. Now, just to help us to understand that it is also called the Feast of Weeks. And I can understand, you probably understand that pretty, since we count seven Sabbaths, seven weeks. But in Numbers, the 28th chapter, in verse 26, 28, 26, I find it. Also in the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new meat offering to the Lord, after your weeks be out, you shall have a holy convocation, 
and you shall do no servile work. So, this is also first fruits. Um, it's also called uh, your weeks or a, a feast of weeks. It has several different names. And of course, a Pentecost just means 50th or count 50 because that's what we were to do. We were to count from that time to this time 50 days. And, uh, I think the Jews just go by a calendar. But how important... And I'm trying to understand that. And I've been at this for many, many years. And it seems like there's got to be a deeper, more important understanding of those seven weeks, of 50 days up to the time before Pentecost. Okay. David read this, but I'd like to go back. And I'd like, because... How, how profound was this on that day when Jesus was already resurrected? And you put yourself into this, to this. Mary Magdalene, she followed Jesus around. She was there at his, at his crucifixion and stood off and watched him die. And she was going to come and do what they always did, which was anoint the body with oils and different things. And what did she find? She found an empty sepulcher. The first day of the week, the, and actually the first of the week, but we know that it was Sunday because of the, of the order in which this comes about. Because of the holy days, you, you tie this in to Leviticus 23 and you understand better how this works out. And so, early when the, it was yet dark to the sepulcher to see the stone taken away in the sepulcher. Then she ran and came, Simon Peter, to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciples and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciples did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looked in and saw the linen cloths lying, yet when he, uh, he not in. Then came Simon Peter following him and went in to the sepulcher and saw the linen cloths lying. And the napkin that was about his head, now uh, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. The tomb was empty. Christ was resurrected. And then went also the other disciples and, went and came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. For they yet, uh, uh, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. But Mary stood outside the sepulcher weeping and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and saw two angels. White, wow, that would be a little scary. Two angels sitting there, uh, one at the head and one at the other at the feet, when the uh, body of Jesus had lain. And they, they, they said to him, Woman, why weep you? She says to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, Woman, why weep you? Whom seek you? She's supposing him to be the gardener. 
said to him, Sir, if you have borne him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. This is also one of the most powerful scriptures. And when he finally, uh, when she finally recognizes him, because he says, Mary. What, a, what an endearment. You know, he was, here he was, going to be the most, you know, at the right hand of the Father forever. And he loved those people so much. She turned herself and said, Rabboni, which is to say master. And just like David said, I think there must have been a lot of, of affection at that time. And, and not untoward affection, but just because they were together a lot and, and they served each other. And Jesus taught a lot. And he said to her, Touch me not, for I have not ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, and to my God and your God. What he needed to do was to be waved before the Father as the wave sheath offering. What, a, what an interesting and most profound scenario that was brought out in this chapter. Jesus used the agricultural conditions of his time to explain spiritual things that would be difficult uh, and he explained them in, in parables to them so they didn't understand. And so Jesus had to explain his parables to his disciples. But one of the things that was very interesting is how he tied these to us, to our position, our place in the kingdom. One of the parables that's, that's really profound is in Matthew, the 13th chapter. The seed parable that Jesus gave. And I want, I'm, I'm working up to, to certain things that, that I want to bring out today. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes gathered together to him so that he went into the ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed some seeds, they fell on the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them. Some fell upon stony places where they had not, uh, not much earth. And immediately they sprang up and became as they were, uh, had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched and became because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has an ear to hear? Let him hear. Disciples came and said to him, Why speak you to them in parables? And he answered them and said, Because it is given to you. It is given to us, brethren. But yourself, it is given to us to understand these things. The mysteries that some looked at, the, the prophets looked at and could not understand. God has opened our eyes to this. And he's opened it through the holy days. 
how important and how profound they are. He says, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever has to him shall be given, he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not from him shall be taken away that he has. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are you, your eyes, for they see, and your ears they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see these things which you see and have not seen them, and hear these things which you hear and not heard them. Hear you then therefore the parable of the sower of the seed. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. That is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed unto the stony places, the same is he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it. Yet has he not root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution, ar- persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, chokes the word and he becomes unfruitful. All the way through the analogy of the fruit that's born or being unfruitful is in the scriptures. Being a part of the fruit and, the, and being fruitful is so in, ingrained in the Bible and trying to come to a better understanding of how the spirit can make us fruitful in this way. And he says, but he that received it into the good ground, and he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so we are those who are bearing fruit. And we are those that are hear the word, and we are listening to what God says. Because we're keeping his days and we're trying to come to a better understanding. He says also in a, a, he, another parable, and this is the parable of the terrorists, and I'm going to skip over to uh, verse 37, because this is the parable of the terrorists, and I'd like to just jump over to there and just explain this one from this perspective. And I, in all the years, I've often wondered about this particular parable, and it's a very hard one to to think about that there are some who are from what Jesus says are in the midst of those who are coming and understanding and and, and coming into his his truth but they're called tares which means they are those that are uh, worthless he said that sows he answered and said he that sows the good seed is the son of man The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. 
but the, tel- the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall be the end of the world, or the end of this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them that do iniquity. And they shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of, of their father, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you can read more of the parables of the kingdom if you'd like. There are many different ones that Jesus has revealed. But I want to go to the book of John. And I want to emphasize this one also, that he gave on that night in which he was betrayed another very powerful agricultural uh, analogy and a look. Because he says in verse, chapter 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth fruit. Now, we read this on that night. But in reality, this is for this day. Bearing fruit, brethren, is a part of the day of Pentecost. Being God's children is a part of Pentecost. Being in the kingdom of God with that hope is a part of of Pentecost. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you, cannot do, you can do nothing. If a man abide in me, uh, not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And those that sometimes turn from God, Christ do sometimes go back into the world and wither. It's a sadness, and I've seen it in the past. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I'm hoping that there is repentance for those who turn their back on this for a while and that they come back and that they don't have that particular problem come up in their life but that they are part of the kingdom. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So bearing fruit is important in our Christian walk. That we bear much fruit. And we'll get to the end of this and we'll find out about that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And this is that chapter that I could spend a lot of time on, but I've just got a few verses here that I want, want to bring out. Beginning in verse, verse 17. Let's go to verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. 
you are yet in your sins. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the acceptance of Jesus Christ as a wave-seed offering are so extremely important for you and I who are hoping and praying to be in his kingdom and believing the word of God and believing what it says. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only you have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that are slept. Talk about... <laughs> We're talking about first fruits. We're talking about the, who we are. Jesus Christ is the first of the first fruits. We are the first fruits. As long as we keep this way, as long as we follow this truth, and as long as we obey God, we have a place. And even if we sleep, which means we're dead, we have our place in the kingdom. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. How important is it? But Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they are, that are Christ at his coming. We are Christ's children. We are, his, we are the ones called out. We're going to have some more scriptures here. We'll look at that. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But he, when he says all things are put under him, it's manifest that he is accepted, which shall put all those things under him. When all things shall be subdued to him, then shall the Son also himself be subdued to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. I mean, talk about a few scriptures that talk about the, the whole plan of God right there. You want to read that over and over again. You're reading the plan of God in a few verses. It is so amazing and so marvelous. So now, let's go to our day. Because... We are an integral part of this Pentecost. Let's go to, I'm going to read a few verses out of Acts, the first chapter. And I'm going to show you how important this day is for each and every one of us and how we fit into the plan of God and how we fit in to the purpose that God has for all of mankind and how because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the opportunity is for all of mankind to be in that kingdom. Verse 1. The former treatise that I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the, the day in which he was taken up, after that through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself 
alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they therefore come together, they ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the, uh, again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come to you. And you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the other parts of the earth. And by the way, a lot have, have desired to, to preach the gospel to the whole world. And we know that uh, as we see the end coming, that there will be more desire to, to get more people to understand this way and maybe to be baptized and maybe to receive God's Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, let's go through this and let's look at some of the things. I know David went through it. I would like to... to this, this is a very powerful message that is given on this day of Pentecost. The first receiving of, of the Holy Spirit and the power with which it was given and the things that were accomplished during that day. And especially these men who were fishermen and followed Jesus and heard and listened to what he had to say. And these powerful things that that they were able to do after that. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Okay, so, <laughs> they understood the holy days of God. Didn't they? They were there. They were preaching. They were understanding the holy day. The Pentecost was fully come, and they were of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as of fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with many. And the word tongues is actually languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, or in our own language, wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, um, Phagria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, and Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our language the wonderful works of God. Wow. <laughs> I mean, today we have translators. We can even get on the computer and we can type out and, or we can call something down from one of the other countries and we can have the computer translated for us. Then, 
There were not a whole lot of people that were able to do that kind of thing. God created this miracle of being able to hear what was being said on the day of Pentecost. They were amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What means this? Others mocking says these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted his voice and said to them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken of by Joel the prophet. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. My servants, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out uh, in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, consequently, you've got to understand, this is a prophecy right up to the end. This is a prophecy all the way to the end when Christ returns. You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held of it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is, my right hand, he is on my right hand, and I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And he didn't. He was resurrected. You have known, you have made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with, with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up there, uh, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit you on my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter, and the rest of the, of the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here are the profound words that Peter said. Inspired by the Holy Spirit that day. He said, repent. That means to change, to overcome, to be different. And be baptized. That means to be immersed. And if you have a little anything in your Bible, 
uh, in my Bible it says immersed in water, completely buried. We're going to be like Christ. We have to be completely buried. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage all of us. Don't doubt if you have been baptized, if you have uh, had your hands laid upon you, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can rejoice and be happy and understand that He has you in His hands. And He is looking forward to you being in His kingdom. And we have some words about that here in a little bit. Some, some really encouraging words about how He loves us so much that He even calls us His sons. So, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. So from the day that the Holy Spirit was given, connecting it also to the way of sheaf and Jesus Christ's resurrection, we understand that this calling is continuing. And we don't know who it is. We don't know who's being called out there. As we broadcast, we reach out. And maybe someone will listen to this. And they will go in and they will search out. And they will ask questions. And maybe they will have some some problems with what we've been preaching. And they will say, I don't know. I want to look at this. And they'll come to a better understanding. And then, maybe, they will be baptized. And they'll receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they will receive the Holy Spirit. It says, for the promises to you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. And with, as many, with, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that were gladly received his word were baptized. The same day that were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, and every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their, their meat or their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, for, uh, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And he's continuing to do that. Sometimes we worry about numbers. But it's up to God to call, to bring people to this way. And it's up to us to study, to understand, to learn about what God has revealed. In Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and if you've been baptized, had hands laid on you, that spirit dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, or make alive, 
<laughs> that word quicken means to make alive your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. How important is the Holy Spirit inside of His children? It is so very important because that's how God communicates, works with us, and also how we, He's going to bring us into the kingdom. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bearing witness, uh, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are, we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And if so be that we suffer with Him, we also may be glorified together. That day is coming. One day we are going to be glorified together. And we will seek God the Father and Jesus Christ. In fact, we're going to be presented. Let's turn to Revelation. I, I was thinking about this scripture. And I thought, is that really what it says? And I thought, yes, yes. Let's turn to Revelation, the third chapter. These are, I, I read these a lot, but this one just stood right out to me on the day of Pentecost. He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Each one of us will be able to be confessed by Jesus Christ before his Father and Jesus Christ. Is that the wave sheaf? The wave loaves? Is that the present presentation? Is that being presented to the Father through Jesus Christ? Is it a tie-in there? I just ask. You think about that. I know that day is coming and I look forward to it. I know he calls us our, his son right now. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. A little bit about the Spirit. How it works. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. I, I think, I love this, these verses here because they're so encouraging. They help me to understand what's going on. How God is, is working. How, how can he know us? Well, he, he does through the Spirit because he comes and dwells in us. Beginning in verse 7. We speak, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained from the world to, to our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the Spirit of man? And I... I, broke, I 
I breach this subject and I ask, when is the spirit of man given? When is the spirit of man given? Right. How tiny. Remember God said he knew some of these individuals, David, Jeremiah, different ones, while they were still in the womb. When is the spirit of man given? Even so, things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Brethren, we have the mind of Christ, because they come, because of the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son dwell in us, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. And they dwell in us, if that Spirit is there. Romans the 8th chapter. Romans 8. Beginning in verse 5. He says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, that's, I mean, that's just natural, normal, fleshly minded person, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the, mind of the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of, of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by His Spirit that dwells in you. And I've read that one. We went through that before. So let's, let's turn to Galatians now. Let's turn to Galatians, the fifth chapter. We've been talking about fruit. Fruit is uh, something that we need to be bearing. Paul says we, he says there's, a, there's the works of the flesh, but there's fruit of the Spirit. So let, let's, let's look at the, the works of the flesh. Uh, let's, let's think about them. He said, but if we are led by the Spirit, you are not of the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. This is verse 19. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. I mean, we could go through each one of these and show what's going on in the world. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of this, which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things have no, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you can repent of those. 
Even if you do something as drastic as murder, or even you can repent. You have to pay the penalty. And, and you repent and you change. But there is a penalty. But the fruit of the Spirit, for those who receive the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit, you have things like love and joy and peace. Having, having these things, we need to be thinking, are we building the kind of fruit because we've got the Spirit indwelling in us? Are, is the fruit being built or being, being uh, is it growing? I guess fruit grows. I've got to, I don't know if I should blame my son Joe or not. Because <laughs> I've been struggling with, with three peach trees in our backyard. And, and maybe it's because God says the first three or four years you shouldn't be eating the fruit anyway. Well, they've been there longer than three or four years, if I remember right. And I've been struggling with them, trying to get them to produce something. And finally, with all the rain and all that we've had, they're finally producing some fruit. And so I, I was thinking about that today. Are we producing the kind of fruit that God wants us, that the Spirit is supposed to be producing in our life? Are we producing the kind of love? Are we producing the kind of joy? Are we producing the peace? Are we long-suffering? Do we have gentleness? Are we, do we have goodness? Are, are we full of faith? Uh, what are our fruits like that are growing? Are they full of, I mean, they are fruit full of faith? How do you, how do you make analogies to, to help us to understand these kind of things that are supposedly growing with inside of us because the Spirit dwells there and the, and the fruit is supposed to be growing? Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the, uh, the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. In the words of Paul. Paul gives us, I, I think this is an appropriate end, because we knew God has given us all this information. God has given us this beautiful hope of his kingdom. God has, has really filled us with so much that is so wonderful. And yet we need to, to come down to earth and need to understand who gets the glory. We're just humans. The spirit dwells in us. And there's a battle going on between our human flesh and the spirit. And we know that Paul said he, he was having... He, he said, who's going to win? Because of the Spirit that dwells in us, because God is dwelling in us, He's going to win. He's going to bring us into the kingdom if we don't give up. But we need to know at what place we are. He says, for you see your calling, verse, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and verse 26. You see your calling. We're all called. We're called to this way. You see your calling. Brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Well, there are a few people, wise, noble people, mighty people that are called. And, and God chooses those people. 
for His purpose and His reasons. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. He's, this is the key, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according to it is written, he that glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. And so we know uh, our place and our position. You know, we're a part of the first fruits. We are being called today. We are a first fruits offering. And one day, we're going to be brought by Jesus Christ before the Father. And we're going to be... What an honor. And I'm not sure that I can even articulate what our life will be. But we will be in the kingdom of God. And we are today called the sons of God. Just hang in there. Keep God's word. Understand it. Search it out. If you don't understand, read it. Search it. Ask questions. Because it's so important that we live this life as God has directed us to live it. And this is the great day of Pentecost.